Well, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, by birth a Mede, who became king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books and the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah must be fulfilled for the devastation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, Ah, Lord, great and awesome God, keeping covenant and steadfast love. That's our word, chesed. Ah, Lord, great and awesome God, keeping covenant and chesed, steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. We have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Righteousness is on your side, O Lord, but open shame as at this day falls on us. The people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. Open shame, O Lord, falls on us our kings, our officials, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by following his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. So the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers, by bringing upon us a calamity so great that what has been done against Jerusalem has never before been done under the whole heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. We did not entreat the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and reflecting on his fidelity. So the Lord kept watch over this calamity until he brought it upon us. Indeed, the Lord our God is right in all that he has done for we have disobeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made your name renowned even to this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, in view of all your righteous acts, let your anger and wrath, we pray, turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become a disgrace among all our neighbors. Now, therefore, O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your own sake, Lord, let your face shine upon your desolated sanctuary. Incline your ear, O my God, and hear. Open your eyes and look at our desolation and the city that bears your name. We do not present our supplication before you on the ground of our righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act and do not delay. For your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people bear your name. The people of God rarely talk about the justice of being punished. We rarely talk about that. In fact, punishment is something we rarely talk about at all in the church because we have redefined love. We've come to believe that love, properly understood, is about affection, 
We think of love as unconditional acceptance, as a person who never judges, who just says, you know, who you are is fine and who I am is fine. You be you, I'll be me, and we can both uh, be content with that. And someone who doesn't try and move somebody in a direction they don't want to go, or ask them to change their behavior. We think of that as love. The word most often translated love, and there are two in Hebrew and a number in Greek, but I'm convinced that the Greek New Testament is rooted in the Hebrew Old Testament, that the writers of the New Testament were trying to translate into Greek Hebrew concepts. So I'm often going back to the Hebrew as the original, even though I'm fully aware that the New Testament as we have it is written in Greek. So you'll know the words agape and philia and eros and the words that the Greeks use for love. But the writers of the New Testament beneath that are trying to use Hebrew terms. And the Hebrew words translated love, there are two of them, are chesed and ahav. Now, ahav is probably more the term for love you'd want. It means to prefer, to, to choose. It, it can even have bound up in it some of those affectionate terms and things like that, that you'd want, you know, to use for love in our culture. God's love is most often described as chesed. And chesed is not an affectionate term. Chesed has to do with loyalty. A, a person of love is a person of chesed, a person who is faithful to their word, who follows through with their commitments, who is truthful and loyal and puts the right values first and will not compromise those values. And of course, our ultimate chesed is for God. And so when we talk about the love of God, we need to talk about his loyalty. And that is in fact what Daniel is wrestling with. So I started that conversation by saying that we have stopped talking about judgment because we have defined love in a peculiar way that's very um, culturally specific. It's the way we use the word, but it's, it's foreign to the scriptures, and that has led us to a lot of problems. The love of God is actually a scary subject. It, when you say God loves me, in our culture, we think that that's always positive, but it's not. Because what we mean is God is faithful. He's loyal to what he said. And that's what Daniel is wrestling with. So the love of God, the faithfulness of God, is a double-edged sword for the people of Israel. Because when he made his covenant with them at Mount Sinai, he made two promises. He promised to bless them. If they were faithful to the covenant, he would be faithful to the blessings of the covenant. But the double edge to that sword is that he also promised that if they would not keep the covenant, that he would curse them. And that's the side of God's love that Daniel is living on. He's living on the cursed side of it. He promised that in the law of Moses. And Daniel was the generation that reaped it. Now, the prophet Jeremiah, and Daniel mentions him, was sent to the people of Israel before that happened. And he warned them about God's judgment, and he prepared them for the coming of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel, by the time of Daniel, this isn't that much longer later, Jeremiah was a revered prophet. They realized that everything he had said was true. And one of the things he had told them is that they would be in Babylon 70 years. Now, the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians was around 587 BC, but Babylon had pretty much taken over the leadership well before that, around 607, 608. And the first wave of exiles were taken in those years. So it sounds to me in the text, and scholars debate this, 
that Daniel is timing the 70 years from the first wave of exiles that were taken, because he was one of those exiles. So it was a significant year for him. He remembered where he was. And he, he read Jeremiah's prophecy. He saw that it was supposed to be 70 years. And he realized in the first year of King Darius, 70 years were up. So he begins this prayer because now is the time for repentance. The 70 years have expired, at least the earliest possible way of reading the 70 years have, it, have expired. So what does Daniel do as a leader of the people? Well, he trusts, he, he always believed God would be faithful to the good promises. He had learned personally that God was going to be faithful to the bad promises. And now that the 70 years of judgment that Jeremiah had prophesied were up, he was going to pray for restoration, and he was going to repent. So Daniel knew the time. Daniel understood that God's love includes blessing and curses, because what it means for God to love is that he will do what he says. He makes no idle threats, and he makes no idle promises. And Daniel knows he can repent, because the 70 years are up, and he knows who God is. The same God who had told them if they followed the law, he would bless them. Who had told them that if they didn't follow the law, he would curse them. Also said in the law that if they ever were sent into exile, and they prayed to him in true and honest repentance, that he would hear their prayers and he would bring them back. So Daniel's whole reason for repenting is because he knows who God is. Daniel knows that God has already promised that he would hear their prayers if they prayed truly from the heart and repented of their sins and turned from their wicked ways. God had promised that too. This is the chesed of God, and that's the rooting, the foundation of Daniel's prayer here. And so in order to do that, in order to truly repent, in order to ask God to be faithful to the law of Moses, Daniel knows He's got to own his stuff. There's no justifying all of their decisions to disobey. There's no explanation. He doesn't make a defense to God about why they did what they did and how difficult it was sometimes to follow the law of Moses because, you know, it put them in difficult situations with their neighbors and it was a complicated law. Sometimes they couldn't understand. He doesn't make any apologies in the sense of defenses for their behavior. Daniel has read Jeremiah. He saw. Jeremiah had told the people why God was sending them into exile. He had detailed it. Now, in his lifetime, nobody believed him. But eventually, what he prophesied became truth. And Daniel had lived that truth. And he went back and he studied Jeremiah. And so he knew what to repent of. He knew what they had done wrong. God sent prophets to tell them what they had done wrong. And so Daniel had the benefit of reading the last prophet God had sent before the destruction. And by studying Jeremiah, he learned repentance. He learned what it was they had done wrong. And he set his face to turn from the behavior and the decisions of his ancestors. What I want to get at, and we're going to get into the prophecy, because Daniel, this repentance is honored by God. That's where we stopped in verse 19. After this, he actually gets a response. Uh, for his repentance. We're going to spend some time in that, but it's inappropriate for us to even get to that until we understand 
that all this is precipitated by Daniel knowing what season he was in. Knowing the God to whom he prayed, but knowing what season he was in. The 70 years were up. Now was the right time to ask God to restore the kingdom. We have to know what time it is. What we are in right now, Church of Jesus Christ, is a season to repent. And Daniel can help us to understand how to repent. But we cannot make the repentance Daniel did because his he learned from Jeremiah. It was contextual to his time. He knew what Israel had done that had gotten them sent into exile. But why is God getting our attention now? What have we done? What I'm going to do in this series, and this is really just an introduction to it, is we're going to talk through what we need to repent of. Each week, before we ever get to chapter 20, to verse 20, and we start to talk about the response of God to Daniel's repentance and what God begins to tell him, we'll get to that. But we cannot move on to God's response until we have passed through the waters of repentance. You notice that Daniel's repentance was corporate. He had already made the personal repentance. We've watched his life in this book. He's lived faithfully himself. There are things we have become corporately that far supersedes the individual. And that has to be dealt with. What I want to talk to you about in the weeks to come are the specific things I think the Lord is showing to me, and I certainly have fallen under conviction of myself as I've studied the scriptures and sought him in prayer, that need to be laid down in the church of Jesus Christ if our repentance is to be authentic. Each sermon will have a passage from the scriptures applied to things that are happening in the church, and then we'll talk about what it would mean to turn from those things and to begin to walk again in the way of life. But today, as I conclude this, I would like you to take away two things. First, the love of God is faithfulness to his word. And you must study his word to know what he has promised and not just the good parts. And so God's love is his faithfulness to his word, faithfulness to be with those who walk with him, but also to be against those who do not. The second thing is we have to repent not when we feel the need to do it, but when God invites us to do it. From my heart to yours, the Lord seems to be impressing on me. Now is the season he will hear us.